Well, I want you to take your Bibles, turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. As we've been going through 1 Peter, and uh, last week we looked at uh, verses 1 through verses 6, Sunday morning and Sunday night. Uh, this morning I'm just going to deal with verse 7. Um, and so all I'm going to deal with this morning is verse 7. But I want to remind you real quick that, that, that Peter is writing to these believers that are greatly being persecuted and suffering. And uh, as they're being persecuted, he reminds them that they need to keep a mindset and a heart whereby they do not live off of their desires of their flesh, but, of, but off of the things of the Spirit. And then he reminds them that they're going to be persecuted. He tells them. He said, there are those that are not going to understand. There's those that are not going to understand where you used to walk according to the way they walk. Now you walk different from they walk. And, but yet there's coming a day God's going to judge all man. And so he comes to verse 7. And he says this. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch... Now notice this. He doesn't say watch in prayer. He says watch unto prayer. That's an important phrase for us to catch. Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself as you speak to our hearts in Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Peter is writing here, and as he's writing here, he brings this thought, if you will. He begins to outline three truths that we're going to look at today and tonight. And these three truths are simply this. Verse 7 is talking about in light of the end of time, we ought to be holy. And then we're going to see tonight two more truths. And that is we ought to walk in the love that God gave us. And we ought to walk in that love in such a way that that love is expressed through us in serving others. And all this is in the light of his coming. So let's begin with verse 7 and look at this verse. I want you to see first uh, it is to be a life of anticipation. Now you say, what do you mean that? Notice what he says. But the end of all things is at hand. In other words, you ought to be greatly expecting, greatly anticipating that the end of all things is at hand. Now you say, well, let's deal with this. What does this mean, the end? Well, here's the thing. The word end here is a Greek word. It means this, the consummation of all things. Or you could do it this way, the fulfillment of all things. In other words, what he's saying is there is coming to a point where God will fulfill all that he was going to do and he's going to consummate the church age. And listen, at that point, God's going to pull his people out in rapture. And so he's saying the end of all things is at hand. So how do I have this kind of heart of anticipation I'll say it to you this way here's what Peter's saying now you have to understand in light of these believers being greatly persecuted 
He's saying you ought to live every moment of every day in great anticipation. And so listen, we ought to, even more so today, live in great anticipation. Because what we see and say today, listen, they couldn't say back then. And so you and I live on the eve of all that the Scripture has laid out. Now I want to give you three things about this anticipation. The first thing is you ought to have an expectancy due to revelation. How do I know that the consummation or the fulfillment of all things is coming near? Because the Scripture clearly says so. I mean, the Word of God makes it clear. I mean, I could give you 20 verses if I wanted to about this. But folks, listen to me, what I'm about to say. The Bible makes it clear that Paul thought he was in the last day. How much more should we? Now, I had one man say to me, he said, well, that proves the Bible's not accurate because if Paul thought he was in the last days, then guess what? Well, I got news for you. The idea here is this, that Paul lived with a great expectation that at any moment, at any time in the sovereignty of God, God could say, son, go get your children. And you and I need to live in the same anticipation. Because the scripture clearly says that this is going to take place. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time, that, you, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believe. You say, well, preacher, I'm already saved. Oh, no, this is talking about the consummation of your salvation. This is talking about the perfection of your salvation. This is talking about the, where God brings you to a place where you and I were saved by his life, but aren't you glad one day we will be made like him? I mean, he's saying, listen, it's nearer than you think. You say, well, preacher, I've been hearing this for years and years and years, and it hadn't happened yet. Well, guess what? When you have that mindset, that's exactly when God will come. Because he says he's going to come in an hour that man will not expect. And so Peter is saying, listen, in light of all that you're going through, all that you're enduring, he said, understand, live in a life of anticipation because an expectation is due to revelation. God revealed that this was going to happen. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. That means the word looking there means with great anticipation, looking and continuing to look and continue to look and continue to look. He said, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something, folks. You ought to live in such a way that every moment, morning when you get up, you walk outside the door and look up. I'm telling you. I don't know when the Lord's coming. But I will say this. The Bible makes it very clear. Matthew 24. He said when the fig tree blossoms, that generation will not pass away before the coming of the Son of Man. Now you say, what's the fig tree? Israel. What's blossomed? Became a nation. 
Now, you do the math. You say when they become a nation. 1947. And he said that generation will not pass away. Now you can say, well, preacher, I'll believe it when I see it. If you have that mindset, it'll be too late. You see, there's an expectation due to revelation. God has made it clear in his word. There's an expectation due to reality. You say, what do you mean reality? The signs of the times. I mean, here's what Jesus said. I mean, the disciples came to him and the Pharisees came to him. He said, show us the signs of the times. And here's what Jesus said. You'll not know the day and hour. But you will be able to discern the signs of the times. Now, guys, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I could stand right here for the next two and a half hours off the cuff and go through with you all the signs of the times. But unless you want to miss lunch and part of supper, I'm not going to do that. But here's what I'm going to tell you. That as I study the scripture, I cannot find but one pre-rapture prophecy. What do you mean by pre-rapture prophecy? In other words, a prophecy God made that has not come true yet before the rapture of the church. I can only find one that hadn't happened. And you say, preacher, what is it? The trumpet blast. John Walbert says there's 674 pre-rapture prophecies in the Bible. And John Walbert, which is probably known as the greatest prophetic theologian of our day, believes that 673 have been fully fulfilled. You understand we're the only generation that can say that? The signs of the time causes us to be expectant of the Lord. But let me give you a third expectation, an expectation due to revealing. You say, what do you mean revealing? So what happens when he does come? I mean, why would Peter admonish these believers who are being persecuted, but yet at the same time, some of them are beginning to cave under the weight of the persecution, and, and some of them are beginning to fall back into living in the desires of their own flesh, and Peter has admonished them, no, 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 live not in the desires of the flesh. So why would he embed within all of these remarks this truth, but the end of all things is at hand? I believe this is the main crux of what he meant here, that there is a revealing coming very soon because when Jesus comes, listen, every born-again believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account to his works, whether they be wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, or precious stone. And the wood, hay, and stubble is this. Everything you did in your flesh will be burnt off. The gold, 
silver and precious stones is everything the Lord Jesus did through you will stand the test of eternity. And I want to tell you something today, folks. Listen. You say, well, I'm saved. I won't have to be stand before the judgment of Christ. Listen. If you're saved today, I'm glad to say there is no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. In other words, your judgment in, as far as eternity has been settled, been taken care of, glory. But you will stand account to your works. Let me give you an illustration. Okay? I used to work for a company called Walmart. Y'all ever heard of it? I was a store manager of a store just north of Durham, North Carolina in a place called Oxford, North Carolina. And when I was at that store, periodically, we would get visits from our district manager or our regional vice president. Now, sometimes we knew when they were coming. Sometimes we just knew approximately when they were coming. So in other words, when the regional vice president would fly in, he would fly into our district. In other words, the 10 or 12 stores in our district. And store managers would get on the phone and say, he just left our store. I think he's heading your way. <laughs> Dad was with Walmart. Am I telling the truth? And let me tell you what we would do as store managers. We would mobilize every employee that was there on the time clock. They'd start pulling all the merchandise to the front of the shelf. They'd be lined up perfectly. We'd make sure there was no pallets on the floor. We'd make sure their boxes were not on the floor. I mean, we'd make sure, listen, we would dress it up, make it look pretty. Are y'all with me? You say, why? Because we didn't want to have to hear or experience that he wasn't happy with what he saw. But here's the thing about the Lord's coming. You're not going to have a store manager call you and say, hey, I think he's heading your way. You've got to live every single day with the merchandise of your life pushed to the front of the shelf. Because when he comes, and we meet him in the air. You're not going to have time to straighten up the shelves of your life. See, this is what Peter's saying. Peter's saying you ought to have a life of anticipation. So let me ask you a question. If before I stop preaching this morning, the trumpet blows. I'm talking to, to believers here. The trumpet blows. Will you stand before him ashamed at what you've done this week? What you gave yourself to this week? Say, preacher, what do I do? Confess and repent. Let me show you secondly, not only a life of anticipation, but a life of awareness. Watch what it says. 
But the end of things is at hand. Now I'm going to read this how it reads in the Greek. It says, be ye therefore sober. But let me read it how it reads in the Greek. Therefore, you better be sober. In other words, in light, that the end is at hand. The end is near. You better make sure you're sober. Now, you say, well, is he talking about drinking here? No. But you shouldn't do that either. What he's talking about is sober-minded. Now, you say, what do you mean sober-minded? Here, here's what it means, okay? The word sober has really three connotations to it. Let me walk you through them. The first thing is be sensible. Be sensible. I mean, here's, here's, what, it, here's what it means. One of the definitions of being sober is simply this. Very simply, be in your right mind. In other words, from a spiritual standpoint, are you in your right mind in your thinking? From a spiritual standpoint, are you sensible when it comes to the things of God? Now remember, he's just told them, don't live in the desires of your flesh. But live in the reality of his truth and his spirit. And so to be sober-minded spiritually, here's what it has the idea. That you are in a right way of thinking in consistency with the word of God. You're sensible spiritually. Now, look at this with me. I want you to turn real quick with me. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night, but let us who are of the day, in other words, who God is saved, who have the life, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet and a hope of salvation. In other words, to not be sober spiritually is simply this. You are asleep concerning the convictions of God, the things of God, the prompting of God, and you are so dwelt on your physical feelings that you've lost your mind spiritually. Are y'all hearing me say amen? That's what it means. So in life, listen, it is at hand. It is near. He commands be sober, be sensible. Here's the other definition of it. Be stable. Not just sensible, but stable. Now, you say, well, isn't there a reference here to one that's drunk? There is from the standpoint of this, from a spiritual sense. A physical drunk, how many agree when he's drunk, he's not stable on his feet? All right, but spiritually, are you stable? Now, you say, what do you mean, am I stable? Well, here's the idea of what it's talking about, okay? To be sober-minded is simply this, not to have undue emotions or uncontrolled passions you cannot control. In other words, you are stable 
and how you walk and how you live. And but more important, you don't get frenzy. Y'all know what I mean by frenzy? In other words, you don't get tore out of your frame easily. You're stable. Your responses to things in your life reflect the stability of a sensible mind, spiritually. And so, he says, listen, in light of his coming, you need to be sober. You need to be sensible. You need to be stable. Turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Look what it says. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the earthly and the light of the rain. Be you also patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth not. Establish your heart. Set it firm. Be stable. And listen to me. If you are sensible spiritually, you'll be stable spiritually. Thirdly, the word means this, to be sound. What do you mean be sound? Well, here's the thing. You're never going to be sensible or stable if you're not sound in truth. If you're not sound in doctrine, if you're not sound in the Word of God. In other words, if the Word of God is something you can take or leave, you're not going to be sensible. You're not going to be stable. Matter of fact, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be easily provoked and easily impulsed. In other words, you're going to be easy to cave into temptation. You're going to be easy to respond wrongly. But listen. Aren't you glad today that the Bible says we have the mind of Christ? So guess what? I can walk in sober-mindedness not because of my mind, but because of his mind. So I've got to give myself to his way of thinking. Now, I'm not going to lie to you guys. To give yourself to his way of thinking is to absolutely turn your back on your way of thinking. And that's the rub. That's the hard part. That's the problem we have trouble with because we don't want to turn our back on our way of thinking. You say, why? Because I spend a lot of time thinking about it. I don't want to waste my time. So here's the admonishment of Peter in life that the end is at hand. The end is near. The end is approaching. He says, be sober, be sensible spiritual, be stable spiritual, be sound spiritual. But then watch the third thing he says here. But the end of all things are at hand, approaching, near. Be ye therefore sober, sensible, stable, sound, and watch unto prayer. So what does this word watch mean? Listen, here, here's the thing. We ought to have a life of anticipation. We ought to have a life of awareness, be sober. But we ought to have a life of alertness, watchful. In other words, you need to be on high alert all the time. Alert for what? 
Alert for anything that would get in the way of your fellowship with God. Alert that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. Alert that anything in my life that God needs to show me, I'm willing to respond to. Alert to the fact that He is Lord and you are not. Alert to the fact that you are to die daily to who you are, but live daily to who He is. Alert to the fact that it is His life in you and not your life for Him. You got to be alert. The word watchful, if you look it up, is, is really a very similar word to the word sober. Has some of the same ideas. But let me break it down for you this way. When I, when I talk about a life of alertness, what am I talking about? Number one, be intentional in your watchfulness. Now, you say, how am I intentional in my watchfulness? Here's, here's the first thing. You got to be prepared. Watch, watch unto prayer. In other words, are, are y'all going to love me? Say amen. The basis of your prayer life will be the basis of your alertness. The two go hand in hand. One commentator used this term. He said, be calm and collected in your spirit, which will lead to fervent prayer. Be prepared. Matthew 25, 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour where the Son of Man cometh. The picture goes back to that of the watchman on the wall. The watchman on the wall in the Old Testament, a man would sit in a watchtower at the front or the corners of the wall. And he would be watchful over the horizon to see if the enemy is ever coming. And if he is, then the watchman would herald to the people within the city, prepare yourself, the enemy's coming. Well, here's the picture for you and I. I'm glad the enemy's not coming. But aren't you glad today that we need to be watchful for Jesus is coming? Be alert. In other words, be guarded in your life. Do you guard your own life? Do you allow the Spirit of God to so work in you that you're able to guard what you allow in your life? Not only be prepared, be protected. Look with me there. You're in 1 Peter chapter 4. Look in chapter 5 real quick in verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may what? See, when you're watchful unto prayer, you'll be protected. In the midst of attacks. Let me give you an illustration that will help you understand it. How many agree the Lord Jesus warned Peter before Peter ever denied him three times? All right, what happened before Peter denied him? Right before Peter denied him, what happened? Well, you remember, they were in the garden of Gethsemane. And, and Jesus took Peter, James, and John 
The rest of the disciples stayed in a cave just below the garden. He took Peter, James, and John. And here's what he told them. Watch and pray. That you be not fall into temptation. That's what he told them. How many times did the Lord Jesus come back and find them asleep? Three. How many times did Peter deny him? Did y'all get that? Say amen. In other words, because Peter wasn't watchful under prayer, he became easy prey for the enemy. The pastor that I knew had a ministry for several years on helping to restore fallen pastors. I got to meet the lady that was the administrator as far as the logistical parts of that ministry. And I asked her one day, I mean, listen, these six, seven pastors a week they'd bring in, put up, feed, try to minister to, who had fallen morally or in other ways. And I said, is there a common denominator with all these pastors? She said, there is. She said, how'd you know? I said, I suspect. I said, what is it? She looked at me and she said, well, what do you think of it? I said, they have no active devotion and prayer time with the Lord. She said, 98% of Confess that. Let me ask you a question. Is our enemy at work today? I would say to you, he's probably more at work today than he's ever been. You say, why do you say that? He's always been active. He has. You say, why do you say he's more active today than he's ever been? Because he has a lot more people, a lot more people today than ever has that doesn't have a fellowship, intimate time with the Lord on a daily basis. So Peter fell asleep praying three times. Three times he denied the Lord. Third time he cursed to even knew him. But aren't you glad God restored Peter? So how did God restore him? Placed the Spirit of God in him at Pentecost. So we see a life of alertness. Be intentional in your watchfulness. Be intentional in your worship. The idea of the word prayer here is an outflow of worship. It says, be, and watch unto prayer. In other words, the more watchful you are, the more it will lead to prayer. The more watchful you are, the more it will influence your prayer life. Let me give you a few things and I'm done. When you have godly thinking and spiritual alertness, Prayer will be a crucial, important priority in your life. So let's look at three things, the motivation of prayer. One man said this. He said the prayer life of most believers today is dead and formal. 
What do you mean by formal? Formalistic. In other words, you say the same thing over and over and over again. It's almost like reciting a creed. In other words, the Spirit of God is not initiated and guiding the prayer life. I'm just praying what I were taught to pray. And here's what this man said, and I agree with him. He said the reason it is that way is because people no longer are anticipating the Lord to come at any moment. And they're not alert. In other words, they're letting the merchandise be pushed back on their shelves. And they're forgetting that there's a revealing coming when Jesus comes. So what's the motivation? The motivation of prayer is this. Out of a love relationship that Jesus Christ gave to us, in love back to him, knowing one day we're going to stand before him. Out of love, I don't want to stand before him in the defilement of my sin. You ever hurt someone you love? Raise your hand. How many of you hurt someone you've loved? You didn't intend to, but how many of you hurt someone you love? Now, some of y'all just flat lying in here today. <laughs> when you came to the consciousness that you did, how did it make you feel? Well, can I tell you, whoever that was you hurt that you love does not hold a candle to the amount of love Jesus Christ showed towards you. Nothing wrong with this song on the surface. I'm just going to be honest with you. But sometimes I hear this song, Sweet, sweet, Holy Spirit. Well, I got news for you. Sometimes he's not too sweet. Sometimes he has to show me things. Sometimes he hurts. Are y'all with me? Motivation of prayer. In light of his coming, being alert and being aware, I can't help myself but to pray. By the way, if you have a hard time spending time with him here, what makes you think you're going to like heaven when you, that's all you're going to have for all of eternity? Think about that. The manner of prayer. The idea of this word is continuously and as God prompts and as God moves in your heart. And then the manifestation of prayer. Now listen, I'm going to expel an old Baptist lie. Y'all going to let me do that? Say amen. Y'all promise say amen. No matter what people tell you, prayer does not change God. Prayer changes you. I have people tell me, well, if I pray hard enough, God will just give in. I got news for you. God don't have to give in. By the way, if your prayer life began with him, 
Everything you pray, if you are sensitive to the Spirit of God within you, everything you pray, He already wanted to do anyway. He's, listen, you're not trying to get God to give in. God's trying to let you get in to what He wants to do. And so what's the manifestation of prayer? It's simply this. God's changing me. Moment by moment, day by day, communion time by communion time, fellowship time by fellowship time, prayer by prayer, God is changing me. Why is that important? Because the end is near. And I'm going to stand account to what he knows about me. So can I ask you a question? Are you prepared? Are you ready? If you're here today and you're lost, you're not ready. But equally, if you're here today and you're saved, but yet you are allowing things in your life that you know is not supposed to be there, you're not ready. I'm not talking about you're not ready as far as meeting the Lord in the air. I'm not saying that. If you're saved, you're saved. But here's the thing. You're not ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a believer. So here's the invitation today. Y'all ready? Say amen. The time is near. So how about today we come and get the merchandise to the front of the shelf and get it lined up straight? Let me give you a quote and I'm done. Martin Luther was asked, and he said, Mr. Luther, what would you do if you knew the end was tomorrow? Listen to what he said. He replied that he would plant a tree and pay his taxes and do what he does every day, anticipating the Lord could come. You say, preacher, what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. He said, I live every day expecting him to come today. Why would I have to change anything I do? So if you knew the Lord was coming today, would you have to change everything you do? But if you're anticipating it could be today, and you're living every day like that, you're going to be alert you're going to be aware, and it's going to lead you to intimacy in prayer. Isn't God good? Father, I come to you now. And Father, here's the one thing we know without a shadow of a doubt. The one thing we know without a shadow of a doubt is you know everything about us. The one thing we know is you know everything about us. And you know who is ready when it comes to salvation 
and you know who is ready when it comes to daily repentance and prepared to stand before your judgment seat. You know. Father, we all have sins of ignorance, sins we're not conscious of. But Father, those are not the things that's going to stand before your judgment seat. It's the things that you've made us conscious of. And we just keep going day after day with all the merchandise in our spiritual life pushed to the back. And never in repentance pulling it forward. And exposing it before you, which you already know. So Father, this morning, here's my prayer. For anybody in this place not ready, from a salvation standpoint, in the conviction of your Holy Spirit, would you make yourself known to them right here, right now? But for every born-again child of God sitting in this place or listening on this broadcast, would you show us what shelves in our life need to be attended to? Father, when we stand before you, there'll be far more gold, silver, and precious stone than there would be wood, hay, and stubble. And as you give out your rewards, the crowns that we lay at the feet of you, the Son of God, we can worship you and praise you. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb.